Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Got a great show planned for you. In the second hour, we're going to be talking about uh, pornography and our relationship to all of that. But I thought we'd open the show with something a little more family friendly, but also is important. Um Hope you guys are getting through the day, getting through the week. I guess I should say that first. Let's connect before we correct. We're not going to correct. Well, we're going to correct our thinking. Um, it's always a goal on this show. But it's also a little bit of a reminder of that tip when, you know, you're needing to have a difficult conversation with your child, your friend, your family member, your partner. Connect first. Don't come in hot. We're connecting and then we're correcting. We want someone to feel safe. <laughs> build that, build that, build that. I mean, it's something we naturally do anyway um, in a lot of contexts. You know, if someone gets on the phone, we don't just say, okay, so blah, 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 blah. Usually we're like, hey, how are you? It's good to hear from you. And then we kind of segue in, you know, it's the pleasantries. Um, <laughs> the thing that a lot of introverts actually hate, the, the pleasantries. How's your week going? Oh, it's fine. Oh, sure, it's fine. All right, let's get to it. But, you know, we naturally have that understanding that we've just, you know, they're sewn before us and we went from a one person system to a two person system. And we try to transition in, uh, really important. And that's part of what some relationships are suffering from is that disconnection because you're not focusing on those important transitional moments. So before we get into tips for people who get depressed in the summer, also known as seasonal affective, which is very confusing because a lot of people think seasonal affective disorder is what happens in the fall and the winter when it gets darker and the days are shorter and the weather is colder. No, it's when your mood is affected by the change of the seasons. And that happens for a lot of us like myself in the heat and the summer and the sun. Yes, I've talked a little bit about it before. I have seasonal affective that during the summer I get depressed and my anxiety spikes and... um We'll talk about that in a second, but kind of want to normalize that. So we're, we're going to jump in, but transitions, um, really important. So just make sure you're honoring those with friends and family members connect. It's one of the most meaningful things we can do as parents with children, especially, um, cause remember you don't know what state mood or psychological place someone is in. And when we connect first, it softens, it softens and it soothes just that part does especially because my framework was connect before you correct, which means there's always maybe a goal of having a very difficult conversation. And if we enter soft and connected, it's going to go better. We know that from all the research with couples that you always want to come in at a zero. It's also why I always advocate for not having difficult conversations unless you can do it face to face. 
because that also softens. There's a human being in front of us. Happens in my office all the time. I'll say, all right, turn to them, look at them, and now say it. And they can't, <laughs> or it softens them immediately, or they go right to emotion. Eye contact really humanizes. It brings empathy back online. So honor those transitional moments by grabbing your partner's hands and hugging the first or saying, hey, let's sit down and check in on each other's days. And then I wanted to talk about something a little, little more difficult. And you kind of bond, come in soft, coming out of zero. So really important stuff to do, you know, because again, as I always say, the success and your competence as a communicator or relational person is always determined by your awareness of how you're impacting the other person. They reflect back how well that communication's going uh, or how well you're doing. Uh, and that's why we do it face-to-face. -face, so we actually have that communicator front and center. Um, so seasonal affective disorder. If life isn't hard enough already, now we gotta worry about the impact that the seasons have on our moods, but that's part of it. Um, and like I said, a lot of people really assume that seasonal affective is something that happens in the winter. And I've started to try to advocate for this understanding that that's not true. I talk about it on my social media. I talk about it here on the radio uh, because I want people to understand that what, what you might be going through is directly tied to something around you. And not just that you're maybe depressed or anxious or cranky um, or uncomfortable or irritable. It might be the weather because we all really hyper romanticize and idealize the sun and the outdoors and uh, summer activities. And then there's some people that that automatically puts them in a bad mood. And they're like, well, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to enjoy those things. People glamorize those things. You know, people can't wait to get in the ocean or the lake or the bay or the pool. People can't wait to get outdoors. Now, all of a sudden, everyone wants to sit outside and go for walks. What's wrong with me? Why am I not like that? And that was actually, um, <clears throat> I think we have time to just kind of finish this part up. That was really hard for me as a child. I remember feeling very marginalized for a multitude of reasons, but that was one of them. We know my family, when I was really young, we'd go to the beach and everyone was so excited to get there and to get outside. And I wanted to kind of do things indoors. And I was always like, what's wrong with me? And I was made to feel like something's wrong with me because I'd be told like, here we are, we're at the beach. Why aren't you outside? Why aren't you in the ocean? And it was a, it was actually a really, really meaningful moment where I got to build some self-esteem and I don't know where it came from because I was very young, but I, but I do remember, um, really starting to advocate for myself. And I started saying, this was my mantra, everyone vacations differently. Everyone rests differently. Everyone finds uh, rec different ways to engage in recreation. Like, let me do it my way. There's no right way to vacation. And that was my mantra. And I don't even know where I found that, but it was what saved me. And it really helped my parents understand. They were like, okay, actually, you're right. You're on vacation too, and you get to do it your way. And even though we chose to go to the beach because we're the parents, that doesn't mean that's necessarily something that you value like your siblings do, you know? Um, we're going to talk more about it because it's all about normalizing diversity at the end of the day, you know? All right, stick around. More to come. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Don't go anywhere, y'all. We'll be back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Oh, Rachel, we're back and we're talking about seasonal affective disorder and its presence in the summertime, which for some people, they're like, what? What do you mean? Seasonal affective happens in the winter and the fall. Or it's the other one. What do you mean? Who doesn't like the beach? Who doesn't like the outdoors? Who doesn't love the sun and the heat? I don't. And a lot of people don't. And that's why we're talking about this because it's completely normal and acceptable to be like, yeah, I have summertime sadness. Thanks, Lana. Um, It's actually not that bad of a song. And it's normal. It's okay. Because remember, we're not trying to be normal. So it doesn't even matter if I say something's normal, but I do want to normalize things because I want people to start to find comfort in it. And that usually does it. But we're not trying to be normal. We're not trying to be standard. We're not trying to be traditional. We're not trying to be correct. We're trying to be ourselves. That's a powerful part of mental health. Be yourself, man. Authenticity is the way to show that. That's why I'm always saying things like, oh, the gender diverse, uh, non-binary people are the most honest because they're actually saying, wait a minute, who am I? I'm not going to just go with what I've been told or diagnosed with at birth in terms of gender and identity or anything else. And they're actually interrogating themselves and saying, who am I? Like, what's my true self? Very few people, very few people do that ever in terms of anything. Um, you know, and that's, and this is me not knocking traditionalism. It's me saying it's okay to say, what do I want my relationship to look like? What do, what is my gender and how do I want to express that? Um, what's my sexual orientation? And it's allowed to be outside of these few labels that you've been told, um, are real or honest or healthy. Let it, let it be what it is, even if there's not a term for it. And that's why people you see that seem the strangest are probably the most healthy mentally because they're living life on their terms. They're not conforming. We've talked about this on the show before. Most people live in um, authoritarianism or conformism. Uh, conformity as in they're doing what everyone else is doing or, or authoritarianism, meaning they're doing what they're told they need to be doing. And um, at a, as a young child, I was already doing neither. <laughs> you know, everyone's going to the beach. You're going to the beach. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to stay inside and read and do art and listen to music. Um because those things meant more to me. And for some people it's more, you know, environmental geographical. And for me, it was really less about that and just about the things I wanted to spend time with. But as I was saying in the earlier segment, when I was a kid, I got a lot of heat from my family in the beginning. And even to this day from some people that don't know me well, when they're like, Oh, let's sit outside. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's in the like high seventies or eighties. I don't, it's too uncomfortable. Let's sit inside in the air conditioning. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I know. (laughs) 
<laughs> or, you know, they're like, let's do a beach day. And I'm like, sure, as long as you bring an umbrella and I can wear a baseball cap, <laughs> I can sit under all the above. Um, I did go to a friend's birthday beach party <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, and I literally sat inside like this beach tent. Uh, I posted some photos where I was actually sitting out in the sun, but trust me when I tell you that was for a full 15 minutes max, covered in probably 50 SPF, a hat and sunglasses, and then I was inside that tent. Anyway, I do me, you know what I mean? <clears throat> okay, so all that just to say that it's okay to find some sadness in the summertime, and you don't need to fix that. We're not trying to fix our differences. We're trying to find ways to be more confident in them and engage them and move through the world that way. So be where you are. If you don't like the summer, that's okay. If you don't like having layers of sweat upon layers of sweat, that's okay. Which to this day, I don't understand. You know, if I, if I'm out in the sun and you know, everyone's out and about and I walk into the coffee shop, well, there's one layer of sweat that's going to be drying on me in the coffee shop. Then when I walk from the coffee shop to wherever else I'm going, that that's going to be another added layer of sweat that's going to dry on top of the original one. And I'm just counting the layers layers of sweat. <laughs> That's where my head goes. Um, <clears throat> anyway, enough about all of that. Basically, it's okay for you to feel that way. So what are some of the ways we can try to have a healthier relationship with it? Uh, well, first, just to understand that it's a thing and that it's okay. You know, I think for a lot of us, um, and this is something that's been shown with all the sexual and gender and relational differences and creative ways that exist is that if we can give a label or a name to something, it makes us for, feel more real. It makes us feel more legitimate. And that's why, you know, the LGBTQIA plus um, acronym is really important. And people are like, why do we have to keep adding more letters? It's getting so long. Well, first off, yeah, it is. I appreciate that. It's a lot to say. It's a lot to remember. But it's not about being perfect. It's about inclusion. It's about people seeing themselves. And again, feeling respected and feeling valued and feeling real and feeling legitimate. And that's what those terms and labels provide. People do want to feel normal. And you can look at it two ways. Either normal is not the goal or none of us are normal because we're all so diverse. You can go either route you want. But the point is... There's so many different ways to move through the world <clears throat> and people having a term for something helps them have more confidence and meaning. Um, so if you have noticed that as the summertime is approaching and the days are longer and the sun is out and it's hotter, um, you're starting to feel worse, maybe feeling some depression that could be part of it, you know, um, and putting a label on it can be a part of that healing, just being able to say that to your friends. Yeah, seasonal effective in the summer. So, you know, I'm not going to be out as much or I'm going to want to hang out at home or, you know, let's move things indoors. Second thing you want to focus on is really creating your own definition of what the summer should look like. And that's what I had to do as a child. Don't know where that idea or motivation came from, but I started doing it very young where I said to my family, hey, we all that we all vacation differently. We all like to spend our free time during the summer differently. There's no right way to do it. Just because most people or you all love being at the beach, outdoors in the sun, I don't, and that's okay. So I had to advocate for myself and I had to create a different understanding of what the summer was supposed to look like. So there's like two prongs to that. It's one, kind of advocating for yourself and reminding people, hey, there's no right way. It's just about having fun and however that's achieved is important. And then the second prong is starting to ask yourself, how would you like it to be? And leaning more into that and giving people kind of a heads up, like, hey, um, it's not our summer vacation isn't gonna be exclusively somewhere outdoors or sunny or hot. Um, can we start to check out some places up north or can we find some place that honors both? And so you both advocate 
and you also start to let people know it's maybe going to look different sometimes. Um, Hey, I'd like to do some things indoors. I'd like to do some more movies, go see some more art, go see, you know, whatever it is that is uh, less outdoor based. All right. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about this. So don't go anywhere. Y'all listen to Loveland with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Oh, Rachel, we're back talking about how to deal with seasonal effective in the summer and the heat. A lot of us are affected with that. And a lot of people don't realize that's what's happening. That's why they're cranky and irritable. You have seasonal effective and it's not just something that happens in the fall and the winter. It can happen in the summer and the heat. So we're dealing with it by acknowledging first that it's a real thing and that there's nothing wrong with you. It's just what happens. It's not a disorder. It's just a difference. We want to use that word more. It's just a difference. Not everyone is all about the same things in the same ways. Then we're starting to advocate for ourselves and we're like, hey, this is okay. We're going to tell people that. The summers don't have to mean, nor does a vacation or travel, outdoors, sun, heat. There's so many other ways to do it. So you're both going to advocate and then you're going to present options and say, hey, can we sometimes do things that are indoors, air condition related, whatever it might be. Provide options, advocate, provide options. Movie nights, game nights, um, dinners, art, movies, theater. There's a lot of ways to engage the world that don't have to do with hiking or the beach or the ocean or the lake. Um, And maybe you find ways to still participate in it, which is what I've done when you are interested in spending time there or with those people. By the clothing you wear that's comfortable, a hat, bringing an umbrella. It's okay to be like, hey, beach day, I'm going to bring a beach umbrella. Or can you bring one? Or I'm going to get one of those outdoor tents. You don't have to do it the way everyone else does it. There's no wrong way. It's one thing I realized about camping. You know, I wasn't so sure I wanted to rough it as much as I thought camping had to be rough. Um, and then glamping came up where people were like, no, no, you can actually rent preset structures that have different amenities from the minor to the major, where some of them have beds with cots. Some of them are vans you can rent. Some of them are, are literal, little, little functioning hotel units almost. And there's so many different ways to experience time in the outdoors. The rougher doesn't make it more honest or legitimate or real. It's about your own comfort. And that's kind of what my point is, is there's no right way to do it. What are you, what are you seeking in it? Is it about time with people? Is it about getting away? There's so many different ways to find that. It doesn't have to be the standard way. It's okay if your hikes are shorter. It's okay if you're camping and you're just, it's just about being away from the city or away in intimate time with friends. And it doesn't matter if it's in a tent on the ground or in an RV that you rented or in a preset cabin or some of these more bougier Airbnb style over the top forms of camping or glamping. Like ask yourself, what's my purpose? And there's so many different ways to get that, that purpose or need met. It doesn't have to be the way it looks for everyone else or as rugged or as rough. Because again, we're moving towards doing things that feel good to us. Because what's the point? Fun. All this is about fun and joy. And however you're going to get there is how you're going to get there. It's kind of like dessert. It doesn't matter if you eat ice cream or donuts or cookies or whatever it is. We're just trying to have something after our meal that adds a little more joy to our day. There's no wrong way to do that. And so I want us to remember that because with summer coming, I know a lot of us have our friends doing it this way or that's what people think the summer is about, but you're allowed to establish your own definition for what, what you value most or what you're seeking out of it. So create your own expectations. Have confidence in that. I want us to be doing that with everything, sex, uh, our gender, um, travel, work. Like, what are your expectations? You decide what it is you're hoping to get out of something and the meaning that it has and move towards that. 
There's no wrong or right way to do these things. I, I'm always advocating for that with sex in the very least, that there's no right way to do it, but we're so obsessed with genitals and penetration. And if that's not happening, that something's wrong. We don't have a real relationship. And it's like, oh my God, what's the goal? Ask yourself first, like, what am I seeking in this? Sex, just like vacation, um, fun, time away with people. All right, well, again, still a multitude of ways to do that. It doesn't have to be in a true tent on the ground or with penetration. As adults, we're expanding our definition. We're doing it our way, not the right way. It's so funny how tradition exists like that, where we're trying to please dead people. We're trying to please cultures prior to us. We're trying to please other people. But it's like mental health is really you asking yourself, who am I? What do I need? What do I want? It's also like I've advocated for on the show before. We're not trying to do equality. We're trying to do equity. Equity being not same thing for everyone because that's not honest or realistic or even rooted in um, social justice. Equity is everyone gets what they need. And everyone needs something different. And you can apply that to the summer and vacations and all that. Like, what do I want? What do I need? I, Chris, Dr. Chris will always be like, I need to bring an umbrella. I don't like sitting out baking in the sun. That is not fun. That is not pleasurable. And it doesn't feel good. And it never will. And it doesn't have to. So if I'm going to an outdoor thing, there's an umbrella or some kind of shade and I'm wearing a hat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera because I'm not there to please anyone else. I'm not there to please culture. I'm not there to please people that aren't around anymore with tradition. I'm not there to please my friends. <laughs> I'm there to stick to what my purpose is, just to have fun and be around those people. So many ways to do that. Um, also find ways to stay cool because it really is often temperature driven and I've kind of itemized a bunch of ways to do that. And then finally, one of the great things to do is to um, try to expose, uh, try to reduce your exposure to light. Also talked about that. And then finally, don't isolate, because I think that's the one downside to all this is that this can lead to isolation. Because people think, if I don't want to do all that, then I can't participate. You can offer suggestions and find ways to be there while still honoring what's comfortable for you. Because, like I said, you can still be on the beach and be completely covered up and out of the sun. Or you say to them, "Great, beach day was Saturday. On Sunday, can we go to the movies or can we go, you know, shopping indoors in a mall? I'd love to spend time with you. We can get food. We can laugh. We can chat. We can get coffee. We can catch up. Because it's really all about just having fun and spending time together. We don't need our feet in the sand or you know burning in the sun for that to happen." All right, coming up next is some DMs. Stick around for those, y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. DMs come from our Love Line IG page. Got a question, topic you want us to hit? Put it in there, Love Line IG page. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Thomas. And I met this dude on Tinder a few weeks ago. We've been talking every single day. We seem to have a lot in common, get along well, and have a really intense connection. All right, Thomas, rubbing it in, huh? Be happy with what you have already. We're going to read more, but be happy with what you have. We're not going for perfect. No one is 100%. No one has every single box checked. It's about the good enough. He lives about an hour plus away from me, so I asked him if we could meet up for coffee. I'm into this so far. Told me no because of pandemic and monkeypox, which I understand and I respect. My question is, how do we connect with people during this funky, funky, difficult time if we can't? Uh, oh, and if we can't, how are we even supposed to know someone is worth our time? Man, strange times. This has come up uh, in the past. It will come up a lot more. This comes up often, actually. We've had some other DMs about this. Um, so we're going to be asking in the future some other 
you know, variants of this. So sexual health and sexual wellness is something that we always need to be paying attention to and talking about. And, um, you know, right now we're living in interesting times and I don't know if they're going to change or let up and people are thinking more about what they're coming in contact with. And if we don't know people, we don't know how high of a risk they are. And this person's thinking that way about you. You should be thinking that way about them. I do want us to think in these terms, look, we're not trying to sex shame or STD or STI shame or, you know, any kind of virus or bacteria shame, but it is important for us to ask questions maybe about what kind of precautions people are taking. I do support clients that are being very thoughtful about who they spend time around because of all the different things that are going on you know, right now in terms of health, mental and physical health. So if someone's like, Hey, how sociable are you? Are you wearing a mask? Um, are you tending to spend, you know, do you spend a lot of time in crowds and indoors? Uh, what kind of sexual health practices are you engaging in? I mean, I think these are important conversations for us to always have anyway. So now they're just a little more front of mind, but these are things we have to be able to talk about because remember, if you're not confident or mature enough, uh, to talk about sexual health and wellness practices, then you're not confident or mature enough to have sex. We should be asking, when's the last time you got tested? What have you come in contact with? I want us to ask those questions. That's not sex shaming or slut shaming or STI shaming. Those are important parts of the current sexual dating climate and moving forward. Now you add other layers on top of that of all the different things that are going on, monkeypox, uh, you know, coronavirus, different variants. Um, and there's also different local outbreaks where there would be cases of syphilis going around locally and other things. Um, so we do want to ask that. So listen, here's the thing. Take, take advantage of technology. Uh, you can still be on the phone with this individual. You can still be FaceTiming with them. That's what, that way you can see them, sit with them, talk to them, get a sense of what it is to share space with them. Um, and then asking them like, Hey, if I, you know, maybe, uh, got tested and then spent the weekend, you know, really to myself, would you be interested in seeing me? I mean, there, there are ways to, you know, hit it like that. Also talk about vaccination practices, maybe go get vaccinated. That'll make a lot of people feel more confident and comfortable. Um, but take use of technology technology as a way to spend time and still stay connected. I do appreciate that if you're dating, you want to be dating, you know, <laughs> you want to actually be out in the world seeing people, especially this individual, but you might realize that they're not available to be dated right now because they're a little too uh, cautious than you're comfortable with or more cautious than it allows for you to see them. And that has to be something you have to be willing to bump up against. And to say to them, hey, let's reconnect down the road. But in the meantime, you could still stay on the phone. Here's the thing. You know, dating means seeing other people. Dating doesn't mean relationshiping. And so in theory, while you're getting to know this person, you can be getting to know other people. And you can say to them, uh, get vaccinated. I'll get vaccinated. You can say to them, I'll get tested. And if they're like, yeah, I'm still not comfortable, you can say, great. We can spend on we can spend time on the phone texting and FaceTiming. And, uh, and then when they feel more confident, see them. But in the meantime, you can be going on dates with others, which is what I'd recommend anyway way. So as to be giving yourself a multitude of options to really see if you connect with anyone better. So this shouldn't be anything that's limiting, just a little frustrating because you are interested in them, make use of technology, like I said, and testing practices. And if that's not good enough for them, then maybe it's not someone who's available, you know, in the ways that you want someone to be right now. Let me know how it goes. You know, this is something we're all going to be thinking about if we're not already. All right. DMs, like I said, come from the, uh, IG page, love line, questions, topics, things you want us to hit, circle back to, and past episodes of the show, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for love line, and click on it. We'll be back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. 
All right, y'all, we are back. And now we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, porn addiction and sex addiction. And I think it's a really, really, really important topic as controversial and punchy and as triggering as this is to people. It's important for us to unpack. And we're going to be looking at stats and science. I'm not going to be throwing the stats at you. I'm going to be summarizing them. This is a world I've been a part of for almost two decades. I've written two books that include discussions around healthy sexuality, sexual health and wellness, sex addiction, porn addiction, pornography, Sex Outside the Lines, Rebel Love are my books, Clinical Director of Education for a Mental Health Training Program that focuses exclusively on sex therapy, sexology, and marital therapy, Director of Education, that's me, um, travel and lecture for them. Um, I've worked with the international body that certifies sex therapists. I've run some events for them. I'm certified through them. Um, so I have a pretty good grasp on this topic. And yet people with no training, no understanding, no research, or just born out of what they're hearing in the media sling around these terms, porn addiction, sex addiction. And just want to start by saying both of those terms are not real terms, meaning they've been rejected by all the mental health organizations, been rejected by the American Psychological Association, American uh, Psychological Association. They've been rejected by the diagnostic manual, which means you can't diagnose someone with that. That is not seen as an actual diagnosis. You cannot bill insurance for it. <clears throat> so if you're treating someone and a, or a diagnosis is required for the center they're at, for the paperwork, for insurance, some other secondary defi- uh, some, uh, some secondary diagnosis required. Problem with that is also that that means we have no universal operational definition of sex addiction. What does that clunky statement means? It means whenever someone's using that word, they're making up their own definition because we don't have an agreed upon, centralized, accepted one that we're all talking about. So when someone says, oh, my partner's a sex addict, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what behavior you or him has pathologized or shamed into calling it an addiction. I don't know. If someone says they're an alcoholic, <clears throat> I have a pretty clear understanding that they probably consume a lot of alcohol to a point where it causes harm in their life. I get it. But sex addiction, it doesn't work like that. Because as you're gonna hear, a lot of the things that people are calling a sex addiction aren't. It's just creative, diverse forms of sexuality that they're not comfortable with, don't know how to integrate into a healthy way, or didn't realize was actually appropriate and normal. And that's what I really wanna kind of focus the most on. And I'm not saying that people aren't in pain as a result of their relationship to porn or sex. And, th- and that does cause a lot of pain, but the pain is often a misunderstanding of what they're doing and they're shaming themselves needlessly. And it's a lack of understanding of what sexual health really is. And it's very creative and it's very diverse and it's very sex positive. And the work is about having a healthier relationship with sexuality in general. And so do seek help, but you want to seek help from the right people because the wrong people could diagnose you with something, again, that doesn't even have a true diagnosis, a true definition that we've all agreed upon and isn't really something that can necessarily create healing. I've worked with some people that were told by other clinicians or treatment centers that they're a sex addict. And within one session, we were able to really identify what the issue is and it was something else and, and, and healing occurs. So if you're struggling within this world, please see a certified sex therapist, a CST. That is the only certification I have it. There's only a few hundred of us in the world, certified sex therapist that is trained <clears throat> and it's years of training um, in human sexuality, sex therapy, and sexology. It's the only certification. And so that's what you want to look for. So some people, most people that believe they have a sex or porn addiction, um, they see their behaviors as bad or wrong or abnormal. And most of the time they're actually not. 
It's just a misunderstanding. Um, also, we know from the research that a lot of the people that claim to be sex or porn addicts, it's really that they are highly religious and that their religion doesn't have a working definition or understanding of a healthy relationship to maybe having a lot of sex or watching porn. And so they feel guilt and shame about it because within those religions, they're trained to have guilt around anything diverse or creative or any kind of porn use or masturbation. And so that's really the problem is that they're sex negative and that what they're doing actually isn't bad. It's not necessarily creating any issues in their life. It's just that their perspective is I shouldn't be doing that. Therefore what I'm doing is bad and I must be addicted because that has a lot of power in it. But there's a lot of things that we have a lot of interest and find value in and we're drawn to them. And that doesn't mean we're addicted to it. Um, so the problem is that a lot of people that are seeking help often for porn and sex addiction, um, they're feeling an unnecessary level of shame. Um, because again, they're not understanding the healthy ways that sexuality can exist in their lives. Um, and that they believe that their porn use or their sex is bad or wrong. And it's mainly driven by sexual anxiety or lack of awareness of what, you know, what roles pleasure can play in our life. And, um, the issue often, and it takes a lot of work to kind of undermine and undo is the person's negative relationship with sexuality. And that's really what's causing the distress. I don't have a healthy relationship to the things that turn me on or to having maybe a heightened hypersexuality. And that's the distress is I don't know that there's a healthy way to have that or work with that. It's not the actual behavior itself. It's my relationship to it. And I want to keep driving that home. Often it's not that we like to eat sweets or snacks at night. It's that we don't have a healthy relationship with food and we're shaming higher hunger. We're shaming wanting to have a little bit of joy at our night. We're shaming using that food as, as a way to cope with a little bit of a hard day. But nothing bad is happening as a result of it. But we're feeling distress. Uh, because of our relationship to it. All right, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about this because it's complex, it's clunky, it's triggering, it, it throws a lot of people off. Oh, God. Just trying to make everyone a little more sex positive. Stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we're back and we're just talking about how we can have a healthy relationship with porn and sex and how a lot of people, it's not that they're doing anything bad or wrong in relationship to their porn use, masturbation habits or sexuality. It's just that they don't understand that what they're doing is normal or, or just maybe a little different or maybe a little creative and they have a lot of psychological distress. They have unnecessary guilt or shame is really what it is. And because they don't really how to know how to heal that, um, they call it an addiction. I hear that word problematically applied to a lot of things. I'm addicted to this thing. And it's like, well, no, you're just not comfortable with your relationship to it. Um, either you're not comfortable acknowledging how much you really enjoy it and value it. And so you want to just call it an addiction or you're not comfortable with the way you're bringing it into your life. And we just have to find a different way to have some boundaries or impulse control around it. But you're not addicted. You might be using it compulsively, meaning when you sit down to eat or online shop, a lot of time goes by. But you know, the funny thing I always say about sex addiction is we don't see people in you know the supermarket um watching porn or masturbating or having sex because um they're able to keep that done at the right time in the right places with the right people um you will see people that are drug and alcohol you know, that are struggling with the relationship of drugs and alcohol driving around you know drunk in the supermarket drunk showing up to work high because they literally literally can't stop and their brain is hijacked but with things like sex and porn it's the rare person that you're going to see publicly still engaging in sexuality because they can't stop. I don't know anyone who's ever showed up to work still masturbating because they can't stop. I don't know anyone who's in Whole Foods still watching porn on their phone or still having sex with their partner because they can't stop. 
right? So think about that. There is an ability to stop and to control themselves and to set boundaries around appropriateness and all of that. It's just that it feels really hard. And so there's two different pieces at play there. There's the, you know, shaming that we'll give ourselves when we're looking at things we're not you know, really comfortable seeing ourselves really get turned on and enjoy or having more sex than we're comfortable with or someone else's. And then there's also this idea that it's very difficult and, 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 and I understand that. And, and there's psychological distress around that. We want to take that seriously, but they are able to stop, <clears throat> right? People have drunk and drug themselves to death. No one's had sex to death. And like I said, we're able to somehow it's same thing with food. That's why we don't use the word food addiction because no one's running around grabbing food out of people's hands and eating it. No one's running around just grabbing food off the shelves and eating it out of a trash can because we are able to stop eating and we are able to choose the foods we want to consume. So there is thought and there is, there is some sense of control in there. It's just that we sometimes eat more than we want to eat or we feel a little out of control while eating or we wish we hadn't. We shame ourselves afterwards, but we do need different terminology. So compulsivity does exist or a little bit of a wonky relationship relationship, but addiction isn't the right word. Um, so we're just working on changing our relationship to it because again, what, what people are often calling porn or sex addiction is really just something that's, uh, it's really meaning that there's an incongruence between what they're comfortable with and what they're doing. And that's what we need to resolve and normalize. Um, and the problem is when we medicalize these things, people avoid developing a healthy relationship to them. Instead of saying, listen, these things turn me on and I need to find comfort with that and figure out how to engage some of these things, if at all, and, and really healing that, they'll just say, I'm addicted to these things. And so I need to remove them from my life. But the problem with that is it doesn't work like that. We can't remove things from our sexuality if, they, if they're part of it or they turn us on. Actually, we give it more power by making it more taboo. That is the wrong way to go. The right way to go is to acknowledge this is part of who I am sexually. We don't get to choose those things. We can eroticize anything. And what kind of relationship do I want to have with it? How do I want to engage with it and how often? And that's the work. And there's, there's a lot of work to it, but that's part of it. Um, so again, the pain and the distress around all this should be taken very seriously. But there's a lot of things that we traditionally label as sex addiction that absolutely aren't. For instance, masturbating frequently or even daily. That's normal. Most men will masturbate one plus times a day. In fact, it's healthy for our prostates and our pelvic floor muscles. It's also okay to add, I and mean, we'll get down, we'll, we'll talk more about this further down in this list, but um, it's okay to masturbate daily. It doesn't mean you're, you're an addict. And most masturbation takes place with pornography. In fact, we can't even do studies on the difference in sexuality for those that don't masturbate or don't masturbate to porn because we can't find people to study that have never masturbated or haven't looked at porn because it's that normal. And masturbation happens in utero. There are sonograms um, that show children in utero with you know, them touching themselves. And we start touching ourselves from birth because from birth, our bodies are able to give us pleasure, period, end of story. Touching our genitals from birth feels good. And that's why we do need to talk to children about how it does feel good when we touch ourselves, but we want to be thoughtful about around who we do that and where we do that. That happens from birth. It's not something that happens with puberty. Ejaculation might happen with puberty, but erections and finding pleasure talking, uh, touching ourselves happens from birth. Um, also, what is often labeled and shamed as a sex addiction, but is not, is healthy sexual developmental milestones. It is part of development to have 
casual sex and to have sex with multiple partners. That is what I advocate for. I say to people, don't hitch and marry the first person you have sex with. Don't have sex in order to have love or marriage. Have sex because you're interested in having sex. Have sex because you want to explore your body. Have sex because you want to understand pleasure. Take your time, go through those developmental milestones. Hookup culture can be a beautiful site of learning and growth. The problem is when people don't do that and they get married right away and then they find out on the other end, I don't know who I am sexually, I don't know anything about sex. And we know from the studies on purity culture, people that are told you have to wait until marriage to have sex, that they have higher rates of STDs and SDIs, teen pregnancy, and also domestic violence and sexual assault because they don't know how to communicate, they don't know how to set boundaries, and they don't understand what safer sex practices are nor do they have the confidence in asking about them or accessing them. And so we do want to talk about these things. And the worst reason to have sex is because you think you're going to get married to that person or, have, or fall in love because 75%, I think the stat is right now, of people have had sex by the time they graduate high school. That's a normative step. And we shouldn't be jumping right into marriage with those people. We should be exploring, learning about our own bodies, learning about communication, learning about pleasure. That's an important thing to um, go through, which is why some individuals, and this is changing, that are of different identities and gender, different gender and sexual identities, their development is often delayed, but that's changing now. Thankfully, because of technology, because of resources, because of advocacy, but that used to be a very delayed developmental thing. All right, stick around, y'all. We're going to talk a little bit more about this when we come back. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Oh, Rachel, we're back, and we're talking about sex and porn things that are not sex or porn addiction because this list includes things that people have shamed and pathologized as being that. It's important for us to understand what healthy sex is like. Uh, daily or frequent masturbation does not make you a sex or porn addict. That's normal, that's healthy, that's appropriate. If you have the time to masturbate five times a day, enjoy. If you have the time to eat five donuts a day or take five naps, enjoy. If you have the time to read five books a day, enjoy. Dear God in heaven, you have a day off, you can read all day, you can watch football all day, you can can hike all day, you can go to the beach all day, you can read all day, you can masturbate or have sex all day. If, if, if you take out the word sex and put something else in and it's healthy and appropriate, then, then it applies to sex. And if not, then you're just sex phobic and sex negative. Because if we can travel the world tasting cuisine and looking at art, we can travel the world having different kinds of sex. If we can spend the day reading, stretching, hiking, or whatever, we can spend the day in pleasure as well. Whether that's in the tub, whether that's masturbating, whether that's looking at art, whether that's painting or drawing, these are all right brain soothing activities. They're all forms of self-care. And it's okay to include sex in that, which shocks people. Yeah, you're allowed to use sex as a form of coping. Sex, you're allowed to make sex self-care. You're allowed to make sex for self-soothing. You're allowed to use sex for distraction and dissociation and self-soothing. A hundred percent, they are beautiful forms of coping and connecting. You're allowed to use sex to build relationships. A lot of people have sex first and through sex, they realize I like you, I value you, I enjoy you, let's go on a date. Sex has led to friendships. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We have to not just think it's only something that can take place between partners in a committed relationship, otherwise it's not healthy. Another thing that's often labeled as sex addiction but is not is discomfort with creative and diverse thing that arouse, diverse things that arouse you or your partners. There is no right way to be aroused and we're gonna be aroused by a multitude of different things. And just because someone's turned on by something that you think is gross or dirty or not okay, that doesn't mean it's an addiction. It just means it's something that you're not comfortable with. Addiction is not determined by an ick factor. Addiction is not determined by the frequency with which you engage in something if it's not having any negative outcomes and you have the time and energy for it. And you just feeling bad about something is not a negative outcome. 
because that's what we're seeing a lot in the studies. That's just that they're not familiar or comfortable with sex. And so they're immediately calling it an addiction. It's an addiction because I'm not comfortable with the frequency. No, you're more sexual than you realize. And you have to learn how to integrate that because being hypersexual is not a sex addiction. Just like struggling with fidelity isn't a sex addiction. If monogamy is hard for you and you cheat, you're not a sex addict. You're someone who struggles with monogamy. You need to work on boundaries, impulse control, empathy, maybe actually acknowledging that monogamy is harder than it should be for you or that you're not monogamously oriented and you shouldn't be trying. I've worked with some clients where we're like, you should be in open relationships or it turns out you're pretty polyamorous and maybe go that route versus trying to be something you're not. Monogamy is hard and it's not right for everyone. And there are some people that should not even try it because they fail. If you're always failing at monogamy, it might be harder because of your sex drive, impulse control, and boundaries. And it might never be something that's really doable for you. And it's okay to acknowledge that. Also, what is not a sex or porn addiction, addiction is someone who's solo sexual. Not everyone is oriented toward partnered sex. Some people, they're oriented towards sex with themselves and masturbation. It's more of an introverted, an introversion sexually. They're solo sexual. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean you're an addict. Paying for sex also doesn't mean you're an addict. Some people enjoy paying for sex for a multitude of reasons. That doesn't mean you're an addict because that's something you enjoy. Being into kinks, also something that doesn't mean you're a sex addict or porn addict because you're interested in kinks and pornography sometimes is the only way you can find access to those kinks. Or for some people that trouble that have trouble finding sex partners, pornography again might be a way that they engage in sexuality. That doesn't mean you're a porn addict. That's just where your sexuality takes place. <clears throat> and like I said, we can use it for coping mechanisms, for fun, for self-care. And then the final point that we really need to cover is that someone who's sexually confident um, someone who's sexually empowered, and we see this a lot in women, will often be slut-shamed. And when we're slut-shaming someone and we're saying they're a sex addict or that person's a slut, all we're saying is that we aren't sexually healthy or mature. All, we're, all it's saying when we slut-shame someone or call them a sex addict is that they're having sex that makes us uncomfortable and we don't know how to deal with it or process it or integrate it. We're talking about ourselves. Because remember, the reason why this whole topic is important to me and it really matters and I will hit this often is because it impacts our total mental health and our total sense of self-worth. We cannot move through the world with all of our self-worth and self-confidence intact if there's a part of us that we have guilt and shame about. It will always be in there, woven in and present. We can't move through our family time, our relational time, our jobs, whatever else, feeling fully ourselves, authentic, open, confident, and desirable if we have shamed or pathologized an element of ourselves. And that's why this topic matters the most. Those things are not sex addictions. We don't use that term. We talk about people that maybe compulsively have sex, need to work on finding more confidence in the things that turn them on or their level of sexuality or their sex drive. Maybe people are realizing they shouldn't try monogamy. It's not working for them. Others, they just need to be more empathetic and kinder and have boundaries and impulse control. There's a lot of other things that are mass when we just say, that's a sex addiction. Don't don't do that. Stop doing that. All's well then. It's like, oh my God, no, that's not the work. That's sidestepping the work. We'll talk more about this, but coming up next, we're going to do some DMs. So stick around. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Oh, Rachel, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one's a long one. Uh, Hey, Dr. Chris. I'm noticing that one of my best friends is really manipulative. I'm wondering if I should say anything to them or if I should let it go because it's none of my business. Basically, he can never be single. He's moved from relationship to relationship for as long as I've known him. His past relationship, he was with a girl named Christine. He convinced her to move in with him in a brand new apartment that he definitely couldn't afford, then guilt tripped her into working overtime. They broke up about a month ago, and he's already on to a new girl. He convinced the new girl to invite him on a trip to Miami with her best friends, even though they've been dating less than a month. I'm noticing that he plays the victim card a lot, and to be honest, it's pretty frustrating to watch. But I'm torn between talking to him we're letting it go because it's not my relationship. This is a funky, funky one because I do believe on one hand, you don't, you know, it's not your position. It's not your place to pass judgment on how someone's living their life in terms of being in a relationship consistently and back to back. There's nothing wrong with someone who's interested in relationality and does better and enjoys being in a relationship with someone. So we don't want to, and again, I'm breaking this apart and we'll get to the other pieces in a second, but there's nothing wrong with someone who doesn't stay single for long it's not inherently healthier to be single. Um, it, you know, it's, it's based on people's goals. And for someone that's interested in relationality, you should be practicing going out, dating a lot. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't need to necessarily spend a certain amount of time single because 
you know, the, again, the, the success of relationships isn't determined by the length of time someone's single between them. It's determined by the health of the people in it. And so if this person is learning about themselves as a result of relationships they've been in before, well, then have at it. Do your thing. That's what I care more about. Again, not how long you're single, not how many people you dated, but the way you're dating people. And if you're aware of yourself and learning and growing each time. Okay. Having said that, that is not what I'm hearing about this person. So I hope, you know, so here's what I would say. It's not so much about the fact that they're never single. It's more about the fact that you see this person maybe taking advantage of or mistreating other people. So sure, a good friend might say, hey, can we talk for a second? I kind of see a pattern and I was wondering if you're open to, and you kind of use that languaging because they're not bad or wrong. This is just something you're noticing. I don't know what your friend is like. I'm going to assume based on what you've told me that this person isn't most likely open to being told that maybe they're harming people and that maybe they should apply more compassion and kindness because that's what I'd want you to say at best. Hey, you know, these are humans, you know, and they're impacted by you being brought into their life and maybe you could apply more kindness or compassion. I mean, there is a world in which you can say something like that. And if he's like, nah, I'm cool. This is what I do. Well, then, yeah, you have to sit back. But then you do learn about this person's mental health and their character based on their willingness to keep harming others. And yes, you do get to decide if that's something you want in your life because everything counts. There's no such thing as, oh, well, they're doing it to someone that's not me, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. This is someone maybe who's okay engaging in different forms of violence, social violence, psychological and emotional violence. I mean, you told me this is someone who's, you know, manipulating people. So I would, you know, again, ask them if they're open to hearing about, you know, what you're noticing, but most likely not. Maybe they are. But bigger than that, is this someone you want in your life? Is this someone you want influencing you? In what ways do they maybe do that to you? I don't know. Think about that. Because uh, it's not just about this person's relationship to someone else. But yes, that isn't your relationship. You do have a right to try to protect these other people. To an extent, there's not much else you can do. Um, so maybe vocalize it. I know I would want friends to call me out if they noticed I was doing harmful things to people, for sure. Because to me, that's a part of friendship, is reflecting that back. Um, and I'd also understand if they, if my friends saw me poorly treating others, if they were really unsure about having me in their life as a result of that because of, you know, how I might enact that with and on them, right? Because how people treat others tells us how they treat people and we can expect some of that. So it's a little bit of a conundrum, but it's okay that they're always in a relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. No, it's not okay that they're harming people. And as their friend, I'd like you to call that out. And I'd also want you to think about what ways, if at all, that that, you know, is brought into your relationship to this person and are you maybe harmed? Um, you know, three points to really think about and to tackle. It's hard though when we have friendships with people that are doing things that we don't support, you know? Um, we should always be helping each other be better. So good luck with that. If you've got a question for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, or maybe you got a topic you want us to hit circle back to or drop deeper in, let us know. Past episodes always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. That's our show, everybody. Be kind to yourselves and those around you. Carve out some time for some joy, pleasure, and self-care. As always, thanks for hanging out. Y'all enjoy the rest of your night. See you tomorrow night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 